Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? We're just going to look at verses 16 through 18 this morning. So again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I'll read them now. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an internal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What I want to talk about this morning is not losing heart. And uh, Paul is someone who knows about the temptation to lose heart, or as some older translations say, to faint, right? We faint not, depending on what you're reading from. Um, Now, we should always be able to receive truth however it comes uh, from whoever speaks it, but it is always helpful to receive, or it's easier at least, to receive truth from people who have experienced it. For example, I once was at a picnic and uh, someone wanted to give Hudson, he was a little kid, like some sugary drink. And I said no. And the young lady says to me, like, oh, all new parents are like that. Now you should just let them do it. And I said, how many kids do you have? Oh, I don't have any kids. And I was like, it's a little hard to receive that from you. You don't have any kids. She was probably right. We're being too strict. Had she said she had seven kids, I probably would have handed in the Kool-Aid right there or whatever. But it's always easier to receive truth from people who clearly know what they're talking about through experience. And the context of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians church should give him a lot of street cred with us because it was a very, very difficult relationship. He planted the church. Um, He came to Corinth and preached the gospel at a synagogue and gathered people together. Um, He actually spent uh, more time with the Corinthians than he did anywhere else, about a year and a half there teaching them and discipling them personally. And after he left, he sent some of his most trusted co-laborers there. Timothy was there. Priscilla and Aquila was there. Apollos was there for a time. Um, and when the church descended into trouble, and he got into all sorts of trouble, he wrote it many letters. So we know of at least four letters that he wrote that we can, as we read through First and Second Corinthians, we can see that there was two other letters that were, you know, God decided not to include in the canon for whatever reason. Um, and we also know that at one point he made an emergency visit because things had gotten so bad when he showed up to try to work through um, their issues. And he was deeply, deeply invested in these people, deeply invested. Relationships were dear, and he knew them by name. And, uh, and when he talked about the Corinthians church, he saw faces in his head, you know. Um, and that's what made it so painful that after a while, they, they chose to follow false teachers or, or men who positioned themselves as super apostles, men who criticized Paul and said he was weak in his speech and, you know, he, he wasn't as close to God as they were. And um, all that work he did, all that time, all that energy, all that emotional energy he put in, it, it might have been in vain. That's something you hear Paul talk about a lot when you read his letters, worrying that his labor... His work among the Christians was in vain. It was a constant problem. Uh, The ministry work he was doing was under attack from people from within the church and people uh, without. 
and to see the work that you've put so much time into uh, start to collapse is a very discouraging thing. Very discouraging to put time into people and see them walk away from the Lord or see entire churches descend into apostasy is, is not easy on anyone in the ministry. And Paul understood that. It's easy to lose heart. And what makes it even more intense is that the great expense which Paul went to to, to build these people up, to minister to them, uh, Paul knew what it was to suffer physically. And he suffered physically for the ministry. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, are they servants of Christ? Talking about these guys who are trying to posture themselves as greater men than Paul. I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments. Beaten twice without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor, in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold or in exposure, apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So to do all that work he did for these disciples that he's writing to right now, very invested in, people he cares about, and to suffer for it. I mean, true suffering. They didn't just call him mean names. He had went to length to bring the gospel to them, to get letters to them, to make sure that they stayed on the right path. And for it to potentially come to nothing would be enough to cause many people to faint. Think how easy you've given up on something. Any labor. I know uh, I have, there's been things I've tried to put together. I'm not very good at it. My wife is more mechanically inclined than I am. And uh, I get halfway through putting uh, something together and I just give up. Because I don't know what these pieces do and the directions don't help me at all. Um, and we give up when things don't make sense and when things get hard. And Paul would be, we would understand if you lost heart, right? We all would identify with someone that lost heart in a situation like that. Um, but Paul says, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Quite to the contrary, he did not lose heart. And his, he is teaching the Corinthians and us how to prevail in the difficulties of this life. And that's the point he's going to make in these verses. So the question first is how? And he brings up the outer man. He says, but, through our outer, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So what's just meant, what is meant by outer man? Well, let's first consider what it doesn't mean. I don't believe it's talking about the old man. Reference in Romans 6, 5 through 6. That passage says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. The old self that's being referenced there, the old man, um, is that self which was dominated and controlled by sin. That that old man is a slave of sin. And now the reason I know that, that, that the old man in Romans 6 is not synonymous with the outer man in 2 Corinthians is because the old man has been done away with. I mean, listen to what Romans 6, 17 through 18 says. 
But thanks be to God that though you were, past tense, slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin. You became slaves of righteousness. So if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. Romans 6, 7 says, He who has died is freed from sin. That old man's dead. We have new appetites. We have a new nature. The new man's alive through Christ. Therefore, the outer man doesn't refer to the old man. So you don't want to conflate those two there because the old man's gone. But the outer man right here in this passage is a, is a current reality that Paul's experiencing, right? He's saying the outer man is decaying. It's something he's still experiencing. And it's a present reality in the life of all Christians. Therefore, uh, some say, well, it's not the body of sin then. It's just referring to the body. It's referring to our physical body, inner man, spirit, outer man, body. And that, that was the thinking of Christostom. And as far as I could tell, reading Matthew Henry, that's kind of the direction he leans as well. And, and I still think they're, they're mistaken to some degree because um, there, there's no doubt that the outer man here is definitely in part referencing the body. Uh, the issue is that they limit it to the body. And I think it clearly the outer man includes much more than just our physical body. Paul is in these two men, outer and inner, is presenting two kinds of life. First, the earthly life, or the present life, the temporal life. And second, the heavenly life, or the eternal life. Uh, by the outer man, Paul means everything that relates to this present life that we find ourselves. All the stuff that's included in the maintenance of the present life. Uh, so the outer man definitely includes the reality of our fallen body. But it also includes the reality of, of life in a fallen creation. It's not just our body, but it's our experience in this world that is under the curse of sin. Our body isn't the only thing that's decaying and passing away. The entire world, this world, is decaying and passing away. And that, there's a clear connection made between the two, actually. The decaying of the body, the decaying of the world, the resurrection of a new body, the, the creation of a new world, uh, is made in, in Romans uh, chapter 8. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. Right? So Matthew Henry says, he says it this way, Indeed, the whole creation seems to wait with earnest expectation for the period when the children of God shall be manifest in the glory prepared for them. There is an impurity, deformity, infirmity, which has come upon the creation by the fall of man. There is an enmity of the one creature to another. They are used or abused, rather, by men as instruments of sin. Yet this deplorable state of creation is in, or excuse me, yet this deplorable state of the creation is in hope. God will deliver it from thus being held in bondage to man's depravity. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming. Everything in this present life is in a state of decay. Everything is. And therefore, everything groans. Mankind groans. Creation groans. 
because things are not how they should be. Sin's disrupted everything in the fall. And the result is groaning. Every day we groan a little more in our bodies. Quite literally, right? The wear and tear of life under the sun increasingly takes its toll on our mortal frame. Some of us spin our bodies on games, right? I wrestled and played football and swam. Swimming didn't hurt me, but wrestling, I broke my wrists, my jaw, several toes, several fingers, um, and I feel them more every day. Some of uh, my friends had even more intense injuries, you know, ACL tears when they're like 15 years old, um, and they'll feel that. They'll feel that as they age, right? Some of us spend our bodies on pleasure. Some of my dear relatives uh, gave themselves to drugs, and their mind is spent, and their body is spent. And they're in their 30s, but they, they look like they're in their 50s. Right? They spent their, their bodies on pleasures. Some of us spend our bodies on hard labor, just working hard. Waking up every morning, going to work, working five, six, seven days a week. And that, that comes to wear on us. Things pop, make weird sounds that they didn't used to make. Sometimes I move my head and I hear cracks that are scary to me. You know, um, so some of us have spent our bodies just working a long time. Uh, I think of a, a friend of mine who's a who was a, a mechanic, and his fingers were something to behold. One, they, it was like alligator scales. His hands were so hard from being in there, but they were also just really twisted from all the work he had to do to get in there. So his body was spent on hard labor. Some of us spend our bodies in the caring, birthing, and nurturing of children, right? A lot of wear comes from that. A lot of pain comes from that, especially as women age. Some of us had our bodies spent for us through accidents. Someone ran into you and you hurt your neck and tripped. Some of oh, one of my injuries that gets me all the time is sciatic nerve damage. I got it. I heard it two ridiculous ways. The first way I heard it was playing semi-contact flag football. That is a thing, semi-contact flag football. I heard it there. And then the other time, uh, in my late 20s, I wanted to prove I could climb a tree. And I grabbed the branch to climb it, and I <laughs> threw my back out, which uh, was the opposite of what I was going for. Um, anyway, uh, some of us have spent our bodies through disease. Genetic are things we caught, right? Things are wearing down. Esophaguses are, are damaged. Digestive system is damaged. Immunity is uh, damaged. Other of us is through illness, repeated illness. Regardless, our body's bank account is dwindling down closer and closer to zero every day. And the result is that we ache more and more. But then again, it, it isn't just our physical bodies that make us ache. That's not the only thing. Uh, it's the, the decay and increasing limitations of this world that we live in, the life outside of us. That's why it's not, when it says outer man, it's not just the body, because the decay is outside of us as well, and it brings pain. It, we feel pain living in this present world. Think of how many relationships have come to an end because of sin, death, or just the requirements of life. There are people uh, you love uh, who have come to hate you. Because you love the God they hate. 
right? In this fallen world, these relationships are breaking down. Christ brings that sword. And people that you're very close with when you're young, uh, it's gone, right? And that's painful. Um, There are people you love that just simply reach their last day, and they pass on to eternity. Your mom, your dad, a sibling, good friends, that they reach the last day and they're gone. There are people you love and you just simply must separate from because you have to take jobs out of state or other uh, similar reasons in this life. I mean, there are, there are people that I'm very close with that I would love to live in the same cul-de-sac with them, but I can't um, because I have to go where, where it makes sense or they have to go where it makes sense, so vocationally speaking, whatever. Um, so relationships are falling apart for one reason or another. Um, the, the joys of this present life are passing away, whether they're relational joys, geographic. You know, I was telling Emily, I know at some point we're going to have to move from the house we currently live in because I'm not going to buy it because it costs too much. But I love living on that lake. The lake's beautiful. I wake up in the morning to ducks and geese and all sorts of bird songs, and it's, it's very encouraging. But that life's coming to an end. I can't stay there forever, and I'll have to move. Um, there's uh, places you've worked for that you enjoyed, and those companies no longer exist because everything in this life is, is passing away. Nothing from this creation will last. In Ecclesiastes 11, it says, the prime of life is fleeting. And it is. It's very quick. James says life is but a vapor. Our outer man is decaying, and it's a terrible state to be in. Uh, but, it's, but there is a reason not to faint. Right, not to lose heart. You could think about all these terrible things, all these troubles in life, and troubles in your body, um, troubles in relationships. And it would be enough to make many of us faint. But Paul says there's a reason not to. He says our inner man is being renewed day by day, and that's a wonderful promise for all believers. Um, now, before you parse out, before we parse out that phrase, we have to ask what what of unbelievers. And James Denny is this pastor. I I came across a quote he said that I thought was noteworthy. Uh, He says, The decay of the outward man in the godless is a melancholy spectacle, for it is the decay of everything. All they have is this present life. That's all the godless have, life underneath the sun. Someone once told me that if you're not a Christian, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And if you are a Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get, right? And they're truly secular. You know, the word secular just means this present moment, right, or the present. Uh, that's where they live. They live in the, in the temporary. And when this world passes away, they'll pass away with it into destruction. But not the believer. The believer won't. Because although we live in this world, um, we also live in the world to come, right? We're experiencing the already but not yet. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The new world is breaking in. We belong to that because we are children of God. Hodge says, Charles Hodge says, by inward man is not meant simply the soul as distinguished from the body, but his higher nature, his soul as a subject of divine life. So in the way that the outer man is referring to the decay and falling apart of everything related to this world we live in, the, the inner man uh, refers to that, that, that life that's being renewed and grows um, as we follow uh, Christ. In Ephesians 3, Paul refers to the inner man in his prayer. He says, 
For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So the inner man is that new life that grows and expands in us day by day uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're being transformed to be more like Christ, and God is working in us. So, And that's ama- this is amazing. God is working in us so that we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. He's filling us up. Now, Paul uh, sets up the renewal of the inner man as a contrast against the decay of the outer man. And he does it as an encouragement to us. Um, Calvin says, can't have a sermon without Calvin. Winking at somebody. Um, For as we are too much taken up with the present life, so as everything goes on to our mind, the Lord, on that account, by taking away from us, by little and little, the things that we are engrossed with, calls us back to meditate on a better life. Thus, therefore, it is necessary that the condition of the present life should decay in order that the inward man may be in a flourishing state, because in proportion as the earthly life declines, does the heavenly life advance, at least in believers. In other words, all that decay and groaning is good for believers because it teaches them not to love this passing world and to love and to long for the world to come. Uh, we are learning it's foolish to rest our hopes on this declining life. It's very foolish. We're being taught to be heavily minded. And that should be a great comfort. All this suffering and pain has a point. In it, God is accomplishing something in us. Uh, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The trials of life are the means by which God makes us complete. He matures us. He's growing us through those trials. Consider that in, um, consider Philippians 3 in that light. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Being a Christian means partaking in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. That's part of it. It's, how God, it's what God uses to prepare us for the life to come. It's how we're prepared for the resurrection from the dead. It's a sanctifying force in our life. And that truth is, uh, sustains Paul through much. I mean, if you, uh, 2 Corinthians is a very difficult letter, in my opinion, to outline. Um, but he's just all the way up through... Uh, 
four, and then through the end, he's talking about the difficulties he's going through. And then he kind of steps to the side and will uh, talk about how God is sustaining him in it. He meditates on it. He's always coming back to that. One commentator put it this way. So remember, part of the context of this is that he's dealing with people who are tearing him down both with their words and persecuting him physically. He has the people that are giving him trouble. He probably wrote this letter while in Ephesus, and it was a real intense time in his ministry, physically being persecuted. But also he's got these leaders that are undermining him in Corinth. Um, so that's how he's suffering as he writes this letter. Uh, so this guy says, uh, with perfect calmness, Paul can watch the destruction of his outer man. What if his enemies hasten the process? Ye bring it to a sudden end by means of a violent death. He loses nothing. The inner man blossoms into new youth, beauty, and strength day by day. This inner renewal is not hindered, but only helped by the tribulation that assails the outer man. These bloody roses have the sweetest odor. These enemies are only defeating their own end. Instead of causing Paul to grow discouraged, his elation is increased. So as they, as they persecute him more, God is actually using it. To, to grow him in godliness. And maybe one example, if we can play with the metaphor a little bit, is you can think how uh, the Pharaoh tried to destroy um, the, uh, the Hebrews when they were in Egypt. And as he persecuted them more, they just had more and more kids. They just kept growing. And they kept expanding. And in a similar way, difficulties in life produce that in us. It, it, it drives us away from the things of the world um, to the eternal things. This is the mind that we have to bring to our sufferings. Whether the loss of physical strength, I, I uh, hurt my shoulder really bad a couple weeks ago. And anytime you hurt anything up here, you realize everything's connected in an incredible way. Like you move your ankle and it hurts from something up here. They're all tied together. And every time I lose mobility, I'm only 37, I'm not that old. Every time I lose mobility, I think how much I take it for granted. You know, And a day's coming where it's going to get harder and harder harder and harder to stretch your hands out or to climb upstairs or whatever it is. Things are wearing down. Entropy, right? Um, this is the mind that we have to bring to our sufferings, whether they're the loss of physical strength, the loss of friends. To be a Christian will cost you relationships. And if it doesn't cost you relationships, um, then either you're in a strange period of time where you're blessed with incredibly godly friends. And that could be. And if that's the case... Awesome, praise the Lord. Um, but to be faithful will almost always put you at odds with people eventually. I mean, is that not the te testimony of the New Testament? Is everything just going swimmingly with Paul in all these letters? <laughs> There's a lot of people uh, causing him trouble. So you will lose relationships as you seek to follow God, and that hurts, right? It hurts to be put at odds with family members you care about. But you have to choose the new family over the old family if they're put at odds, Right? You have to choose faithfulness to God over faithfulness to men if they're put at odds. And it hurts, though. And persecution. Persecution is difficult. We don't experience much persecution in this country as compared to other times in history and elsewhere on the globe. There is still persecution, though. And just the, the general troubles of life are difficult. And this is the mind we have to bring to it. It's by these things that God is working out his purpose. He's, he's doing something through this. And that should, again, call to mind um, Romans 8. Um, 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love uh, God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is, God is working on his purpose through all these difficulties. I mean, how else can you come at it if God isn't sovereign? Who, who else is making all this happen? Who else is behind this? God is behind it. And it can be difficult to look at the death of loved ones or the death of someone when they're very young, right? That's the death of children is very difficult. Um, and understand why. But I guarantee through all these things, God is working out his purpose. And for us, um, it, it should be a comfort that he's behind it. There's a point to this. If you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in a sovereign God, what's the point of anything? Right? There is no point to anything. It's by these crosses and losses, that's what the Puritans used to call them, crosses and losses, that you're being conformed to the image of God's Son and prepared for glory. It's by these difficulties that you're experiencing that you're taught that this world needs the gospel, that this world needs a Savior. That's why the gospel is good news. The bad news, this is all is falling apart. This all is cursed, and this all will be destroyed. But there is a way of escape, and there is a new world, a new world coming. And that's a, a great comfort. Now, he also contrasts the life, um, this life, this present life, with the life to come. Um, Christians are not asked to treat pain as though it was pleasure. It's where people can go wrong with uh, James and passages like this. Um, or grief as though it was a joy. That's not what James says. He doesn't say, he says it counted all joy for what it's going to do in you, right? He doesn't say when you fall on trial, say, oh, I'm great that I have to get all new tires for my car. That's just wonderful. You know, that's not, that's not what he's saying. Um, but you should count it a joy because you know God's going to work through it in you. He's going to make you complete. He's going to mature you and grow you. Um, what we are asked to do is to bring all earthly adversities into comparison with heavenly glory and thereby be strengthened to endure. So the way we achieve the mindset that causes us not to lose heart is by way of comparison. But a lot of times we often uh, give the wrong type of comparisons to ourselves um, and others when we're going through difficulties. For example, if someone's going through something difficult, you give that great encouraging word that everyone loves to hear. Uh, it could be much worse. No, that's very helpful. Um, or, ah, you're doing better than some people. Well, I mean, that is generally true. I mean, always, right? Like, no matter how well I do, I, I'm always going to be doing better than some people and probably worse than others. But, okay, that is true. Um, you're doing better than you deserve. Again, I agree with that. That is true. I do not deserve... Um, any of the goodness of, of this life that I do get. Uh, or uh, you're doing better than you were doing. You hear that sometimes? And these are the ways that we try to like encourage people with comparisons. And, and they do have their place. Sometimes you do need to be reminded of those things. But it's not where the apostle takes them. That's not the focus. That's not the type of comparison that he wants uh, them to have lodged in their mind. They're just a small part of what he's saying. Paul is saying that the troubles of this life are nothing are nothing compared to the glories of the life to come. That's the comparison. This current life versus the life to come. Not how you're doing last week. Not how you're doing compared to someone else. Right? Not how you're doing compared to what you deserve. Not that. How you're doing, or uh, the comparison that's to encourage us, is the life we're in and the life that's to come. 
So he, he contrasts things like momentary and eternal, light and weight, affliction and glory. Right? That's what he's contrasting. That's the comparison. That's what should be on our mind when we go through troubles, is uh, looking forward to, the, to heaven, to having an eternal mindset. And the, one of the best metaphors I can think of is pregnancy. And in this church, it's a, it's a metaphor that's close to all of our hearts right now, since there are so many new babies and, and pregnant women. But um, pregnancy, at least this is what I've observed with my own eyes, uh, to some women feel like it'll never end, right? It just goes on and on and on, um, especially towards the end where, you know, women walk like, you know, penguins, that whole, that whole sort of, they can't move around. And everywhere is too hot or too cold, nothing's right. And, um, and they can't sleep comfortably in bed. They start getting frustrated, and they just want to have the baby. Um, and it feels like it, it won't end. And then, um, then they go into labor, right? And there's these intense contractions. And at a time, it seems like it won't end. And it gets more and more in, intense. But then, then there's a baby, right? Most times, there's a baby. And so that affliction, which was so intense... Now, comparatively to the blessing you have in front of you, seems small or at least worth it, right? And that's, that's what comforts a lot of women through pregnancy is they focus on just the pain. It's going to be hard to make it through that. But if you focus on the goal, bringing that child into the world, women are strengthened to do something incredible. Again, this, this idea is in Scripture. Um, Romans 8, I already read it, but... I think it's good to read it again. Um, and we know that God causes all things to work together for... Um, am I in the right place? Oops, sorry. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Right? The afflictions of this life get more and more intense, like labor, contractions, but they are leading to a new life, to a new world, a new creation. Through the power of the gospel, things are being changed. The kingdom is being come to brought, uh, bear in this world. So it's worth it. Christian suffering, however protracted it may be, is only for this present life. Which, when compared with the everlasting ages of the glory to which it's leading, is but a passing moment. When compared with that, it's but a passing moment. Afflictions for Jesus' sake, however crushing it may seem, is in fact light, a weightless trifle, when weighed against the mass of the glory which is the inheritance of all who through grace have been made one with the Son of God. That's what we have to think about. We're not, when we comfort people, you don't want to get into that uh, com, you know, competition. Right? Oh, I'm so tired. I went to bed at 3. Oh, I totally know what you mean. I went to bed at 4. <laughs> you know? that's, that's not how we encourage each other. Say, that, is, that is real pain. That is real suffering. God, God will use it in your life. Right? And that pain you feel now will come to an end. It will. Think how quick life is moving. Think how young you were yesterday. You know, and then suddenly you have kids and suddenly you have a pot belly. Suddenly you don't have hair. 
Suddenly, everything's moving. Suddenly, you're thinking about your mortality every day, knowing the end is near. And the way we're comforted is that uh, God is leading us into a new world, into a new life, into glory. And all this trouble is, is short. Life is short, very short. Eternity, we try to explain eternity with time. But to be eternal is to be out of time. So we don't even know, we don't even know how to really explain eternity. Uh, but it will, if we were to measure with time, I just think I could have a million-year conversation, especially if it's with Cademan trying to describe a television show he watched. But um, I could be in heaven forever talking to people. I'm gonna, I, we could have fellowship forever and ever. It's, and, that, and that might not be a big thing to hang out with someone for a million years. I don't even know how to conceive of what's coming. But the limitations of this life are gone. That's for certain. The, the, the pain and distractions and troubles of this life, they're not in that world to come. And the glory that's set before us, is we can't even comprehend. But we can use the experiences of this life as, as an example or a metaphor to try to help our minds wrap around it. And that's what we must remember. That is the comparison that strengthens us not to lose heart, to keep going until the day our earthly journey ends is that we're, we're moving towards the celestial city, right? Towards heaven. That's what this is about. This is, uh, note the connection in verse 18 and 16. He says, uh, our inner man is being renewed as we look or while we look at the unseen. So eternal things of the age, uh, well, excuse me, at the unseen eternal things of the age to come. In other words, the process of renewal of our inner man being renewed only occurs as the believers look to the things as yet unseen. As we fix our gaze of our hearts on the glorious hope to the age uh, of the age to come. God progressively renews our inner being, our inner life, notwithstanding um, the decay. God is still renewing us, even though all these other things around us are falling apart. Um, and the inner renewal does not happen automatically or mechanically. It happens only as um, or provided that we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In other words, there's a command not to focus on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. That's, uh, if you want to have an application, bring a command out of this, that's what you need to focus on. So what does that even mean? Well, Colossians 3 says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So the things unseen is that world that's to come. It, the things seen is the world, the things that we see with our eyes is this cursed world, this world that's fallen and, and, and not as it should be. And so when you look at it, you have to think of what will, will be coming into the world by the power of Christ's resurrection, a new heavens, a new earth, life perfected, fellowship perfected, no more sins, no more tears, right? No more pain, none of that stuff. No more hobbling up the stairs, no more throwing up, no more pain, uh, you know, that won't go away. 
chronic pain just wears so much, uh, so many of us down. I know many in this church that suffer from that. And here's a, here's a great promise. That has an end. I know some of you work so hard to find cures for things, and you're not finding them, right? Or they only help a little bit. And that could be because there isn't a cure. There's only things you, you can only manage it. Right? There's not a cure in this world. Everyone seems to think that you can, you know, there's this idea that the cure for cancer is in the Amazon, right? Um, the cure for everything is in the Amazon. Or if we just eat the right food, we'll stop getting sick. I mean, it's gluten or whatever it is this month is the problem. Um, and I'm not saying those things don't affect us. But the cure, right, the hope isn't in this this present life, in this creation, it's in the world to come, in the promise of the resurrection, right? You're going to have a new body. You, you want to, like, this is where you live right now. This is the tent you're stuck with. So it's good to patch the holes in the tent and to manage it. But you're getting a mansion. You're getting a brand new body. And that has to comfort us. So what shall we set our sights on? To what shall we give our allegiance? On what shall we meditate and ponder and focus? And brethren, if you want to finish the race, if you want to not lose heart as you move through this life in all its difficulties, all its pain, you'll set your mind on the eternal glories that are now unseen, but very, very soon will be revealed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you condescend to us. We thank you that you sent your son in a body, and he suffered in the pains of this world, all to the point to the death on a cross. And he knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He's a great high priest. We thank you for this wonderful promise that we can come to him to comfort us and that to, to find help in a time of need. And we also thank you, Lord, that this world is not our hope and that someday we'll be made whole. And someday soon we'll be resurrected and stand before you. And your countenance will shine on us forever and ever. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful gospel. Thank you for the forgiveness and the wonderful inheritance that comes from it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.